Hi, Caleb. Hey, Mike. How are you? I am doing quite well. How are you doing? I am uh, doing well. I'm a little disappointed that the sun has already set. Um, I don't. I don't like the uh, early sunsets, but yeah. Well, it's that time of year. At what least the, the the good news is I've managed to to start my local recording this time. So mm. you know, yeah. No, we won't have that problem happen again. Fingers crossed. Um, <laughs> I'll well, out myself as the uh, the responsible party. What are you drinking? Yeah. So tonight I'm drinking. Uh, I'm drinking a beer actually. Oh. Um, yeah, by popular demand. Um, I am drinking uh, something called an AA Fest. Mm. Um, it just occurred to me that's a little weird that there is a beer that has AA in the, uh, in the name. That seems a little on the nose uh, or cruel, I guess. Mm. Mm. Uh, this is actually a, a, um, from Alvarado, uh, Alvarado Street Brewery down in Monterey. Um, they have excellent beers. Uh, this is a lager, a very hoppy lager that they brewed uh, in combination. It's a, it's a collab with another brewery, uh, Altamount. Mm. Altamount, Altamount, Altamount. Anyways, that's the AA uh, part. Um, and do you yeah. like the Do you like it, the beer better or the label? Uh, well, the label's great. Uh, Alvarado always has great cans, uh, great labels on them. Uh, this one's particularly uh, slick. Um, little Bauhaus, I guess. Um, but yeah, the beer is actually really good. It's a uh, German style lager, but very hoppy. It's got mosaic hops in it, mm. um, amongst some other varieties and yeah it's very uh very refreshing uh highly recommend uh, if you can get it but it's it's probably a pretty rare uh it's a local thing so it might be hard to find come to northern california yes yes norcal has good beer um how about you what are you drinking i am drinking a new drink and it is slightly inspired by the october uh soon to be halloween i guess so it's the obituary and obituary. It, is, it is a spin on a martini so it is uh Gin, vermouth, and absinthe. Gin, vermouth, and absinthe. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's Where'd actually... Where'd you find that? I found it on... Uh, I was just searching online for uh, dry vermouth and absinthe because I was seeing if there were any drinks. Oh, uh, uh, you got to use up your vermouth. I got to use a dry vermouth. So I'm sort <laughs> of... Uh, and that was one of the top ones. And I thought, oh, that's kind of a cool name, timely. Yeah. So yeah, I actually, I actually really like it. It's actually... Um, with only three ingredients, it's quite complex and not, not, I mean, I like absinthe, so it's quite. I imagine good. it must be quite herbal with the, uh, the yep. dry vermouth and the gin and the, the absinthe. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really tasty. Almost tastes sweet, even though there's, you know, the absinthe isn't particularly sweet, but it's good. Cool. So tonight I thought, um, we could talk about NVIDIA. Um, we've sort of danced around NVIDIA in lots of our conversations from some of our AI conversations to uh, Tesla Autopilot and Autopilot 2. And so I thought it'd be worthwhile digging a little bit um, into sort of their history, what NVIDIA is known for, why they're doing anything with cars at all, and uh, sort of what they have on their roadmap and how that might affect Tesla. So um sounds good all right let's jump in so uh they're actually not th i don't know do you think so they were founded in 1993 yeah does that seem old or new to you <laughs> well i mean i think that seems new but that probably makes me sound old so yeah i mean i remember when this new company nvidia came out and they had graphics cards for my like 386 or whatever whatever pc i was putting it into at the time yeah, for me, it seems relatively new as well. Uh, yeah. And I guess it's partly because of what they do. So they were, they were founded by three, um, three fellows, um, 
Jensen Wong, Chris Malakowski, and uh, Curtis Prem. And uh, two of them were from Sun Microsystems, which is definitely one of the older uh, computer companies. Um, <laughs> you, you kids nowadays might know it as the uh, husk that uh, Facebook has crawled into and occupied. So if like Sun Microsystems was a hermit crab, Facebook has taken over its old headquarters. And yes. the, the Facebook campus is the old uh, Sun uh, campus or Sun Quentin, as it was called. Oh, yeah. This is like prison out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it's definitely, it's, if you've ever visited the Facebook campus or it's not, uh, it's, it's not quite embedded in, in downtown. Um, (laughs) and then Jensen, who is still the CEO, um, and loves his leather jackets, uh, used to work at AMD. So they definitely had experience, um, with, uh, PCs. And one of the things they really saw as, uh, uh, this new upcoming thing of people wanting to do computer games and computer graphics, uh, Sun was definitely uh, doing some workstations with computer graphics um, in the late 80s and early 90s. And one of the things that was missing in their view was uh, people dedicating uh, projects and companies and silicon to uh, computer graphics. And so they claim, their claim to fame is that they invented the GPU uh, in 1999. Um, so apparently they were working on it for six years before uh, they feel like they really came across the GPU. And uh, it really started with that and uh, this product called GeForce, which is still around, which is kind of cool, actually. It's sort of uh, reminiscent of like the Mac um, or like the TI uh, calculators and things. but Or, or, or Intel's x86. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like a brand name that stuck around for, for so long and has really built up a lot of equity, probably even more than NVIDIA. I think a lot more people probably know GeForce than NVIDIA. Um, (laughs) And uh, yeah, so they started with these boards and GPUs that would basically make uh, running 3D uh, graphics on a computer more efficient and uh, and faster. And uh, they started with that with this really simple board. Um, They acquired uh, the IP of this other company that was building uh, graphics cards. And funny enough, that was the first graphics card I remember ever buying uh, for my own PC was a Voodoo 3. <laughs> um, and apparently, I didn't know it at the time, but that was sort of their last card they ever made. And, uh, and uh, NVIDIA acquired them. But Oh, interesting. I remember getting that and buying it in CompUSA and installing <laughs> it in my PC that I had built. Uh, I think it was 500 megahertz PC. Did uh, it make SimCity go a lot faster? It made SimCity go a lot faster, and I was able to buy The Sims and EverQuest. And so, Civilization? Uh, did you play Civilization? I never too? played Civilization, but uh, I mean, I one. definitely uh, I liked I liked the RTSs a lot, and and uh, yeah, it's just you know, online gaming just started with some of the. 56k you know modems being fast enough to do to do games but anyways they then <laughs> those are all words that make you say that yes 1993 is relatively new yeah when i mean you start i remember do- it, you start yeah. dropping 56k modems and, right yeah. yeah exactly and and that's not even that old old but it's yeah. still uh in the, in the arc of where we're at now so my the, first modem was 300 baud so oh, yeah yeah i i know get off I mean, my lawn my, sorry my first was 14 <laughs> then 28 and then 56k was was you know, uh, you're a young quick. and yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. But I, I was pretty lucky to get computers pretty early because my dad is a computer programmer, and so we had uh, you know the pizza box 386s in the house. That was his you know claim to fame with the five inch 
floppy disk and all that. And then, <laughs> then we went and when to, floppy disks were actually floppy. Yeah, and then we went to CompUSA or uh, I think we went to Radio Shack and bought a Compaq for the for the family. Oh. Uh, and so that was the one I had, you know, to get on the internet and stuff. And then I started building my own. But anyways, <laughs> so I guess the one one sort of big thing is. Most people know about Intel and that they have Intel inside and it's this CPU and then there are NVIDIA graphics cards and that gamers have these cards and they put them into their machines and they make their games uh, possible and like Xboxes and things will have NVIDIA processors in them. So can you sort of share a little bit of the engineering or... Uh, sort of behind the scenes of what makes a CPU better for the CPU things and why a GPU was even necessary? Uh, sure, sure. Um, so the, yeah, the, the CPU is probably the, the main thing people think about when they, when they think about the, the chip that runs a computer. Um, you, you really couldn't have a modern computer without it. Uh, it's the central brain. It does all of the, uh, it runs all of the, the programming that, that you're, whether you write yourself or you buy or, you know, whether you're using a browser or whatever, everything is, is running mainly through the CPU. And then uh, eventually we started farming uh, some graphics tasks out to this thing called the GPU, the graphics processing unit. Uh, and as you can imagine, graphics is uh, pretty uh, repetitive. So you've got, um, let's say, however many pixels are on your screen. So if you have like, you know, a, a thousand pixels across by 500 pixels tall, which is not a real resolution, but for the sake of argument, that means you would have like, what, like 500,000 pixels and you, you know, you compute them all one by one and you do this over and over and over again. And for when you get into like however many times a second you refresh, like your refresh rate, if you're doing it 60 times a second, that means you've got to process all of this and compute what each pixel will be in each of those 500,000 places 60 times a second. So as you can imagine, it, the really the computational tasks really build up. 30 million a second. Yeah. So if Pixels. you actually have to then also have the same piece of hardware uh, responsible for doing everything else in the system, loading things off of the disks and, you know, pulling things off of the network and all these other things, uh, you can imagine it would get bogged down pretty quickly. So what the uh, modern computers do is they'll farm out these subtasks. And one of the biggest ones is farming everything out to GPUs. And uh, it basically, at, at the simplest level, farms out all of the rendering so that the GPU, um, the CPU can just hand off like a higher level description of what it should be. And the GPU takes care of like filling in all the details and populating all the pixels. And that leaves the CPU with, you know, it puts less of a burden on the CPU. And that's why... If you, as you improve your, if you upgrade your GPU and your computer, your games will start to look better, even though you haven't changed anything else, because the the, the amount of power dedicated to rendering has increased. Is that is that clear enough? It's it's a little eye level, yeah. but no, yeah. And then I think one of the other big things was that as 3D gaming became a thing and 3D rendering and you know special effects, that not only do you have to push the pixels to the screen. Uh, for a GUI, uh, for like a graphical interface, um, but you also now have to sort of create these 3D scenes first and then map what those pixels will be on this flat matrix. So then you've got all these triangles, these polygons that you're computing, 
And if you've got like a very sparse salt, small scene of like teacups or whatever, you might have a couple, <laughs> you know, million polygons. But then we started getting games like Doom and uh, all these other, you know, Castle Wolfenstein and all these games that started getting more and more graphics and uh, Counter-Strike and things. And to create these 3D scenes and have lighting effects and shadows, that that was just so much more processing required. And a lot of that math is all, like you said, very repetitive and very similar, um, even though it ends up looking quite different to the human eye. To the computer, a lot of those operations are very similar. Uh, yeah. And they happen and they can sort of be parallelized. You can say, oh, like figure out all this, the stuff on this part of the scene and this part of the scene. And so GPUs just like tend to have many more cores and they're very, very parallel and they have a much smaller set of the types of operations they'll do where a CPU has so many different types of instructions it has to deal with like sound and video and mathematics and all sorts of different operations, um, instruction sets where the GPU is a much tighter uh, set of instructions. Um, so yeah, that that's basically what NVIDIA sort of stumbled upon was that if you wanted to do this really well intel wasn't opt like focusing on this and amd wasn't focusing on this and so uh the, the games you could run on a cpu were were kind of limited things like pong and whatnot <laughs> um and <laughs> yeah so and it's also i mean there's the the story of gpus is kind of the the story of continual optimizations uh where there's this idea of, or at least now, I, I think it's closer to the point where you can do this in real time, but there's this idea that's called ray tracing, which is where, uh, if you can imagine, uh, in a way, whatever you're seeing on your display, you're simulating essentially a camera, right? Like, you know, you've got all the, like a camera would actually record all the rays of light that are coming in and render you a picture. In this case, you're making a virtual picture based on what's out there. And this idea of ray tracing is that, you know, from your point of view, you just shoot all these like light rays out or virtual light rays and you, you know, it'll hit something and come back. And that's how you, if you just do that over and over again, you can calculate what a scene looks like and you get a very, very, like you can get to photorealistic type levels. If you do that, the problem is it takes a really long time. And, uh, the story, the history of GPUs is, is around dealing with all of these optimizations where, you know, there's just like layer and layer and layer of optimizations to, to get this down to the point where this process where you might, if you go back and look at like things like, like Toy Story, when they were rendering Toy right. Story, they're doing ray, tra ray tracing. And, you know, it's, it's a question of like how many hours or days does it take to render one frame? And of course that doesn't work when you're playing a game, right? You need to get like at least like 30 to 60 frames every second. So you, the amount of optimizations you have to do is incredible. And, and yeah, so this is kind of where GPUs sprung out of. And the important thing for today uh, and why NVIDIA is still relevant, um, well, one, one big reason and the biggest part of their business is still gaming. Uh, gaming has always been at the bleeding edge of what uh, technology and GPUs and CPUs can offer. And uh, the GPU continues to be stressed. Um, it's really sort of this amazing symbiosis of the game developers try and eke out as much, as you said, as much sort of performance and quality of a scene uh, and sort of visual acuity as they possibly can. And then that, uh, and, and then the GPU folks are continually pushing to give more and more capabilities because we aren't yet at a place where you can render something at 120 frames per second 
at, you know, crazy high 8K resolution of totally photorealistic. You know, Pixar still has to render things offline. And so, and they're not even, I mean, some of like the good dinosaur and some of their films are incredibly photorealistic at this point, but it's still not, you know, human indiscernible. Right. And well, so I mean, we, we haven't reached that's that limit. deliberate, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, some, yeah, exactly. Some of the stuff isn't, but we haven't fully gotten there, right? So there's still where places to go, where on the CPU, um, there's still a lot of um, push, but the, the big optimizations have really been on power and size because for most people's application use, you know, Microsoft Word, as, as bloated as it might be, isn't pushing the boundaries of what your modern eight core CPU can do or Chrome or Safari aren't. And so, uh, even though they might slow down your computer, um, more Safari, um, (laughs) that's more software problem, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's one of the, the big things is the gaming has continued to push the boundaries. And one of the positive attributes of GPUs is that they can be so highly multi-core. Uh, and one of the, one of the challenges with, general CPU improvements. And one of the reasons we're not all running like eight gigahertz processors, like I remember I had a 500 gigahertz processor and then a 1.2 gigahertz processor and then a 2.9 gigahertz processor. And it's like, well, you just project in the future, we're going to be running 10 gigahertz processors someday, like pretty soon. (laughs) That didn't happen. And physics gets in the way. Yeah. So the physics of it is basically the transistors get so small and the pathways get so small that the current that you turn you use to turn on and off the switch for the one or zero, uh, it starts leaking, that it ends up sort of leaking over be- between the transistors into the next transistor, which then causes it to spuriously turn on, which you don't want. Um, and so you, it's really hard to get around that unless you have lots of cores that are more isolated and you can run at a lower clock speed and lower power, which GPUs can. And so GPUs have actually sort of uh, continued uh, at this really fast clip of more than 100% every uh, you know, 12 to 18 months where you know, CPUs haven't really kept up at that same rate of um, uh, raw performance. They've been doing great on performance per watt. Uh, for smartphones and things, but um, yeah. that's that's one of the big things that Nvidia continues to tout is that their raw performance keeps improving because they keep adding more and more cores, and graphics projects tend to absorb all these cores. So they have their their most like leading edge uh, GPU right now has two thousand five hundred and sixty cores, and for comparison, <laughs> the top of the line Intel Xenon Phi chip, which is for their crazy servers, is seventy two core. Right. So, and it's, it's also important to, to point out that the graphics, like graphics rendering is, is inherently what they call parallelizable, parallelizable. It's a, it's something you can break into parallel tasks. Cause you can imagine if you have a, a scene that like what's going on in the top left and what's going on in the bottom, right. They, they have nothing to do with each other. Right. So you can render them independently, but if you have a CPU that needs to do the, you, you hit diminishing returns on number of cores in your CPU pretty quickly. Uh, if you're doing something like Photoshop or the, some of these like video rendering tasks, you can get a lot of benefit from it. But there's a reason why most laptops are probably stuck around, you know, two to four, maybe a couple more cores, because you just actually don't see much benefit from it because, you know, you can't, if you're typing a document out, you, there's no way to like, you know, spell check the next word because you haven't typed it yet. So you can only check one word at a time or, you know, there's the number of things that you can. And then, you know, 
writing software that can like kind of synchronize all these cores is, is difficult as well. So yeah, right. It, you hit some diminishing returns on the CPU, but the, the GPU, it's, it's, it's a very, very uh, good task for that. So that's why the, that uh, approach has worked really well there. And that leads into the big renaissance that's been happening and this convergence of GPUs and what NVIDIA has been doing and what had been happening on the academic computer science side of deep learning. And what we've touched on in the past, but from NVIDIA's point of view, deep learning is an incredibly new and great way for them to sell more GPUs. Uh, Because deep learning, as we've talked about, uh, you have this massive amount of data that you want to load and sort of um, do tasks on. And so a lot of data looks really good to a, a GPU because they've got all this memory and all this bandwidth to deal with all these graphics that typically take up a lot, a lot of space. So that works really well for a GPU's architecture. And then the other right, big piece... Yeah, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, because when we're talking about pixels, like GPUs are, are were originally designed for rendering out pixels. But in the case of deep learning, you're using these virtual like neural networks. Yeah. And these like virtual neurons essentially function somewhat similar to pixels where they're kind of independent and, you know, they're, they're connected to each other, but usually that happens in layers. And the idea is that if you can have a lot of them, you can feed inputs into them and they are very simple computationally there's not a lot of things they can do they either like you know pass on a value or or swallow the value and don't pass it on uh and yeah so it it kind of lends itself uh to working very in a very similar way yeah exactly so basically these gpus can just eat massive amounts of data from all these photos that you're feeding in and then they can also process uh all these sort of point connections uh, for the network, and they can do some of it in parallel, and then uh, you know there's more and more work being done to try and parallelize it even more. But compared to a CPU, if you were running a, a neural network for detecting cars, for instance, and you fed it a million images of cars, uh, it's going to go through that process a lot faster on a GPU than it would on a same amount of power given to a, a CPU. Right. So, like you can imagine, if you have like you know a hundred let's say you have a thousand neurons at the entry level of your neural network and you have a thousand cores in your cpu in your gpu then it's a one-to-one you can load it in and go if you have a cpu with like say four cores and you know two of them might be used for something else you might only have two cores available then you actually have to have those two cores do it 500 times to to yeah just compute that one level with a thousand inputs so yeah it's the the idea of being able to do everything as close to real time or all at once as possible and so nvidia sort of stumbled into this and people started using their gpus for these scientific type tasks and uh they realized that they kind of wanted to program a lot so one way that a lot of people will interact with their uh, gpus is with DirectX or OpenGL, which are these software middle layers that help software developers write to the GPU. Um, But actually what NVIDIA sort of realized was that those weren't, those were built for graphics and that a lot of these scientists and uh, researchers actually wanted to use the GPUs in ways that they hadn't necessarily anticipated. And so they started building this new language called CUDA, uh, which was basically a way to interact with the GPU uh, and, and NVIDIA wrote this sort of 
translation layer uh, software. And that they've now brought to pretty much every major deep learning software package. So if you are you know, tasked with creating uh, a deep learning system at your company and you're an engineer, you're going to use something like TensorFlow or Cafe or PyTorch or some piece of software to sort of help you translate what you're writing uh, into these actual networks so you don't have to sort of write it all out by hand, essentially. And those will then use NVIDIA drivers in a lot of cases to then actually map that higher level code to the GPU. And so NVIDIA has been very smart about making sure they're compatible with pretty much every major uh, deep learning toolkit, which means that a lot of the people who are creating these deep learning projects and the bigger companies like Google and Amazon and Microsoft who are pushing these AI projects inside their company they're actually running on NVIDIA GPUs in a lot of cases. And so NVIDIA is selling lots and lots of GPUs for data centers now, which are not playing video games, but are, you know, figuring out how to detect horses and people in your photos. <laughs> yeah, you can you can get a GPU, heavy GPU units on uh, AWS uh, and, and other uh other online services. The only thing that you can do that's better than these is the companies that have custom AI chips, which have like custom uh, field programmable, what they call uh, chips that can kind of rewire themselves. And the that's just not something that the average user of these uh, learning networks is going to use. So NVIDIA chips being widely available is, is kind of the, the really the state of the art. Yeah, exactly. And so NVIDIA has sort of still the, you know, 80, 70 to 80% of their business is still people buying graphics cards for their gaming or for their, uh, you know, their console business. But it's an increasing part uh, for these, these neural network training systems that are going to data centers. And the sort of subset, which is most relevant to, to us, is automotive. And so automotive sort of has two histories for NVIDIA. One was... They have been working with folks like Audi and Toyota and Mercedes-Benz and Volvo and Tesla for a while now, and they really got their start with the automotive and saying, okay, you, we want to, as the car companies, they want to have in-dash in, in entertainment, and you want to have dials that are not actual dials, but they're a screen. And those are graphics. And so, and, and video is like, hey, we, we make graphics cards. Um, why don't we make a chip that's designed for the constraints of automotive, that meets all the standards for heat and cooling and durability, and make something that would work really well for, for car companies? And so they basically shrunk one of their GPUs uh, and add a little bit of CPU magic in it as well. So it could basically be this one chip, a system on a chip that would power uh, the dashboards and the you know touchscreens in in cars. And so they launched this product. It was called Tegra, and uh, they were actually one of the first. Um, Tesla was one of the first companies to to use this, and it was you know, in its time, like 2011, 2012, an extremely fast chip because it was this really power efficient chip and was able to power their big 17 inch screen, uh, the touch screen, and also this, uh, they had another one for their 12 inch screen in the binnacle. And folks like Audi and their MMI uh, use NVIDIA chips. And so 
they sort of realize, oh, we kind of have these this opportunity here to help power all the graphics in uh, in the car companies world. But it, it it never really passed more than like fifty or sixty million dollars a quarter. It wasn't like a huge huge business, but. Then self-driving really started to pick up and the deep learning stuff started to pick up. So they had some relationships with the automakers already. They had some relationships with the tier one suppliers who supply the auto companies. And then they realized, wait a second, we've got all these people buying our, our, uh, our chips to do all this deep learning. Is anyone, and they realized all these, a lot of these people were doing self-driving stuff. And then they realized, well, okay, you're doing a lot of stuff on the data center. And then they found out that a lot of people were starting to put their consumer grade graphics cards in the trunks of people's cars. <laughs> and they're like, oh, what are you doing? And they're like, well, we need to, you've got all these cameras mounted on the car. We've got LIDAR on the car. We've got radar. We need to process it all. And we actually have to like do this on the car. Like we can't connect to the data center. So they were running these graphics cards in their trunk. And even the earliest uh, like DARPA challenge cars had these huge computers with GPUs in the trunk to process what the car was seeing. And NVIDIA, you know, was paying attention to this. And so they, they spun up this whole automotive unit uh, with self-driving as one of their big motivations. And it's really kind of clever because it's basically, we're not only going to sell you the hardware for your data center and your office for building these models that are going to drive the cars, but then we're going to sell you the chips that you're going to put into the cars themselves to run the software. So it's really kind of crazy and awesome for NVIDIA that they've, they actually get to sell the same customer, they get to sell the customer twice, once for the training side, but the much bigger opportunity is powering if they could get an nvidia chip in every single car i mean that's the uh, brain right that's the the entire brain of the self-driving car so that's a good good spot to be in yeah exactly they they want to be that um that core provider and so does intel and so do others and that's why intel obviously bought Mobileye was they want to make sure that they can be in the car but with over 100 million cars sold and many of these chips and the boards costing many thousands of dollars, uh, that's a huge, huge business and could certainly eclipse the gaming uh, market. So what have they done so far? So they've gotten big partnerships with folks like Toyota has said NVIDIA will power their full self-driving. Audi has said they'll power their self-driving. Volvo has said they'll power their self-driving and Mercedes as well. So, and when you say power, you just mean like provide the hardware, though. Yeah, well, that's what's interesting is they they will provide the hardware as sort of the base, but similar to a lot of companies uh, that build hardware, one of the things they do is to build software to entice people to use their hardware. And so, Nvidia has followed in that footstep, and so they've built an entire stack, and they've got. They said, um, I think they 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 mentioned they've got over five hundred engineers, software engineers, working on self driving. Oh, wow. And, at the company. And is that like as like sort of a uh, like a reference implementation? Yeah. Or is, is that meant to be like the final product? Well, they're licensing this software to people who uh, buy and have arrangements with them to buy the boards in volume. So I wasn't able to download the software uh, and <laughs> run it on, you know, my own car or create a car. Well, you, but, can, you can get their developer boards off of Amazon, too, if you're interested. Yeah, you can get... Yeah, you can get the developer boards one off, but they if, if you have a formal relationship with NVIDIA, you can then get this entire stack of software. So it's this drive, uh, drive AV, so Drive Autonomous Vehicle Software, which has all the software in it. So they've got this software called DriveWorks, which will say, okay, here's software to take your radar, your LiDAR, uh, your camera and do detection. 
free space detection on the road, uh, localize you, make HD maps, path planning. And so they've, they've built a lot of the software uh, to sort of jumpstart your self-driving efforts. Mm -hmm. And obviously, it's mostly neural network based. So it, it sort of uses the GPU as much as it can. They've also built um, their own car, reference car, um, to show off this software. Um, and apparently, they've made 20 of them. So they're one of the few companies in California of you know, the 40 companies that have a full license for self-driving. Oh, right. There was and, a video of it driving through like an off-road course, wasn't there, mm -hmm. recently? Yeah. So they've, they've trained it on just steering input. So they're really trying to push the boundaries of what a neural network trained self-driving car could do. So they trained it on like 18 hours of driving, just following the inputs of the accelerator brake and steering wheel from camera inputs and, and radar. And it basically can drive like a human. So it stays in the lanes and it can also drive when there aren't lanes. Um, so you're saying like they, they put the equipment in the car and fed all of the data into the CPU in training mode while a human was driving around. Yes. Okay. Yes. And then so just by like cloning. passively observing, it learned how to drive. Yes. Okay. So it doesn't actually know how to get from point A to point B, but the point was how do you basically, if you, as like one subsystem, have driving that is sort of human-like without training it on lanes and training it on like curves what those mean semantically, but just like how a human drives. Right. So um, the human's just training as replacement, basically. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and so they've made like 20 of these cars and they're driving them all around. Um, and then they have software for the inside of the car. Um, so as many of these cars, like the Teslas, will have the side repeater uh, cameras and the, the new Model 3s and the new cars will also have the camera inside. Um, they're building software for car companies to basically say, oh, you want to do gaze tracking to make sure someone's paying attention to the road? We have that. If you want to have software to do driver profiles, so you sit down and the camera notice it does facial recognition on you. And so it knows that you're Mike or Caleb and it puts your seat into the correct profile or uh, making sure that you're not asleep or that when you approach the car, it unlocks because it does facial recognition. So they're building software to provide all of their automotive partners to help them both inspire them the same way Intel does sort of reference software and Microsoft used to do reference hardware, but also I think to actually sort of be the foundation for uh, some of their software efforts. So um, they're, you know, they're really investing quite a bit of energy and time in all of their press and all their marketing in self-driving because it's just such a tangible thing beyond gaming that people can understand for why uh, you would want so much computing power available to you and why NVIDIA continues to be extremely relevant beyond gaming is, in their words, you know, they want to power and be the brain of self-driving cars. Cool. So is the... Um, is NVIDIA powering the uh, autopilot self-driving stuff in the Model 3? Yeah, so as I mentioned, they and the Model S and X, they were doing uh, the Tegra chip, which was powering the, uh, doing some of the autopilot control, even though Mobileye was doing the, uh, the core sort of object detection. So they sort of had this combination of the slightly slower or very slow Tegra chip doing some of like the uh, traffic aware cruise control, like processing the radar and whatnot. But it, it wasn't super intensive, right? Uh, only that one camera and it, they weren't even getting the raw camera feed. 
So, you know, it was doing like the web browser and all that stuff. So it was kind of acting more like a CPU, I guess. Yeah, in that case, yeah, Yeah. exactly. It was sort of the CPU. And so it was basically like a ARM Cortex A9 CPU Mm -hmm. um, was built in. So that's like maybe three or, I mean, yeah, that's like a seven or eight year old chip. It's not, it wasn't, it's not cutting edge right now. (laughs) But when they moved to hardware two in in October of last year, they upgraded the, the chipset dramatically so they went from something that was about uh 250 um billion flops um so billion operations per second to now they're doing 12 trillion operations per second gigaflops to teraflops yeah exactly um and so it's a, a modified version of nvidia's drive px which is basically the board they've made that puts one of their processors one of their chips this Pascal chip, as well as uh, meets all the standards for automotive grade um, reliability. And uh, has like all the camera inputs and stuff like that. Yeah, has the camera inputs, has all the I.O. that you'd want for connecting to the CAN bus and Ethernet and all these things. And that's one of the uh, things you can order on Amazon, too, if you're if you're so if you're so inclined, (laughs) if you're inclined to sort of build your own thing. And so Tesla's installed these things underneath the glove box or behind the glove box so they're kind of serviceable some people who are very brave have dug in and and taken them apart um (laughs) overclocked their their cars (laughs) yeah well they're you know trying to understand exactly what's in it but um it does void your warranty so it's not it's not recommended um (laughs) and so yeah tesla has uh put one of these uh boards in there and so yeah the if you're running autopilot 2 and autopilot 2.5 which is in the model 3 as well and any new car coming off the line it is predominantly uh the autopilot is running on the auto on the nvidia chips uh they now also have intel for their uh infographics like the the display but the core super hardcore stuff is for autopilot is running on on nvidia oh what um, a little role reversal there yes uh it is and so that's going to be interesting to see because obviously tesla doesn't want to get into a spot where they're fully dependent on only one supplier and uh, sort of beholden to nvidia and even on the call when they sort of announced the uh autopilot 2 a year ago they said you know nvidia did win out this time but amd uh, and a couple of, and Intel were, were kind of right in there. Um, so it was sort of interesting. Um, they're, they're trying to build the software in a uh, non-hardware specific way. But all that being said, <laughs> NVIDIA is pushing very hard on making the software uh, models very efficient on their chips. And like some AMD chips can't even run uh, some of like the TensorFlow models very well without a ton of modification. So that's not, not, uh, not not easy to just like out of the box <laughs> pop in an AMD chip, for instance. Yeah, yeah. Well, good for Nvidia though, because you know if you're the only supplier, that that's a, a good business position to be in. But not so great for Tesla. Right. And what's crazy is because things improve so quickly, this is we're gonna see big upgrades in autopilot continuing because just like a couple of weeks ago. NVIDIA came out with a new version of this board of the same board, the Tesla modified version of what Tesla's using. This new board is what they believe, from NVIDIA's point of view, is will totally get you to the level four, level five, fully no human driver needed. <laughs> I think um, it's funny talking about that from the hardware side, though, because, yeah, okay, and you can, you can say that, but 
Yeah, without well, that's one of the reasons I think they're working on the software side as well, is to try and understand what are the limits of, well, what, what kind of hardware envelope do you actually need? Um, and what are people in the field actually going to be asking of the hardware right. uh, for these very specialized types of applications? Um, but yeah, it certainly is kind of, uh, it's, it's a very abstract and like many steps removed from reality to be able to say with certainty that this board with this amount of horsepower will be able to do something that doesn't quite yet exist. Right. Yeah. That's pretty difficult to predict and stake a, you know, a claim on, but <laughs> being three times more powerful than last year's is interesting because Tesla has said that their current hardware they believe will get them there. Um, so, but NVIDIA hasn't said that. They, they never said that the version that Tesla is using would get you there. So um, that means Tesla believes their system would be more efficient than what NVIDIA believed would be possible. And <laughs> the funny thing is that NVIDIA would certainly have every, you know, desire to want to promise something beyond maybe what's capable because it's not their problem if your software isn't efficient right so they could be like well it should be able to do that that's the thing is yeah you can always say well you know the software is at fault right like yeah this should be enough hardware you're you just need to optimize your software some more yeah so for the hardware vendor not to be saying uh this thing is totally capable of level five but then for tesla to be saying that is intriguing to me (laughs) um but I, i mean i i think that to me the thing that's uh, just so been striking over the past couple of years is that NVIDIA has just been coming up so much more in every self-driving car. I mean, almost every self-driving car company I know of is using NVIDIA in some way. I checked with one of my friends at uh, an unnamed self-driving car company and just messaged him and asked him, are they, are they using uh, NVIDIA in their cars right now? And he, he texted back and said, yes, we are. We're using one of the Titan uh, X GPUs, which is a consumer GPU. So they've bought from Amazon uh, like a GPU that you put in your computer to play like Far Cry or something. <laughs> and they're using one of them in the back of their cars to to run the car. Yeah, the, and, the Titan ones are, are the ones you can get on AWS as well if you want to you know, do your models online. Yeah, and that's, that, that architecture is what's in the Tesla. And that's why Elon said on the call that they had a Titan in the car, even though it's marketing-wise, it's not considered a Titan, but the, the same chip architecture can be scaled up and down a little bit for the consumer side and for what's in the, the drive PX inside of the <laughs> Tesla. So sure, why not? He, he got a little ahead of himself because he probably thought more people would know about the Titan brand name than drive PX. But anyways, um, <laughs> I just sort of found it, it's just interesting that it's just such... It's coming up so much more. And then when I did that test many months ago on that uh, self-driving, you know, the uh, car detector neural network, when we had those episodes, uh, I had to buy or rent some EC2 instances and they were the GPU ones and they had NVIDIA GPUs in them. And uh, I was using G- uh, NVIDIA software to, to train the model. And, you know, I, you know, my history and thoughts of, of NVIDIA were always just video games yeah. and to, to have them be, you know, in the Tesla and in every single model three, that's a huge sort of shift for thinking about what they do and the impact for people. I mean, it's just kind of funny and nonlinear to think, oh, the people who made the Xbox processor are also <laughs> going to be powering the drive unit of Tesla's is just pretty cool. Yeah, it's a good spot for them to be in. They're they're advancing into all of the AI deep learning models for uh, uh autonomous driving and many other uh autonomous areas and then they're also 
Now you've got VR and AR pushing huge yeah. demands on on their chips as well. I mean, VR, you've got two eyeballs, right? So that's doubling right there. And then instead of having to do the screen in front of you, you have to render a whole world. So yeah, it's a good time to, uh, it's a good time to be a NVIDIA stockholder, I guess. Yeah, their stock has done incredibly well over the past year. I think more than doubling. Um, it's been kind of bonkers. Um, so. <laughs> well, the hardware is there for self-driving, Kill. Well, yeah, I mean, now I mean, the hardware is probably there for Mars exploration, too. Why not say that as well? <laughs> yeah, what's what's interesting is that the automotive revenue for the comfort for NVIDIA has been increasing. It's like doubled over the past two years, but it hasn't really broken out. I think it's still in like 10 or 15 percent of the company's revenue. So that makes sense. Even, right. Even though. Yeah. Even though it's gotten so much attention, it still hasn't really come on like come full force. So. It will be interesting if all these other major auto manufacturers that have said and made commitments to using NVIDIA for powering their self-driving, when they really start placing their orders, that's going to be quite interesting. And the other thing that's interesting from Tesla's point of view is they have updated their autopilot hardware like almost every year, even you know minor revisions or major revisions. But because the rate of improvement is still increasing so greatly, some of those major automakers that might run a platform for 10 years and not usually have to upgrade their hardware, what are they going to do? Are they going to change their model and start upgrading you know, the <laughs> GPUs every year in the cars? And Tough so, luck. Welcome to the soft world of software. No, I mean, they're really going to have to get in it yeah. quite quickly i mean you you if the reason so many car interfaces well one reason so many car interfaces are so terrible is that they're wildly underpowered because they're running on cpus they don't have a gpu so they're doing all this graphic stuff and they're super low res oh it's a cpu from like eight years ago too yeah it's a cpu from eight years ago that was a a really cruddy one because it's super cheap and arm probably because it's not they don't even want to pay for intel Uh, and probably underclocked too so that it runs in the in the yeah heat constraints and it's coming from companies that have to do the auto certification which intel and nvidia have only started doing pretty recently like in the past six or seven years so it's just most cpus and cars are terrible (laughs) that's why you have to stare at that stupid boot up screen for so long when you turn on your car so anyways, it's going to get better pretty quickly. But then the question is, will they keep improving it? And certainly Tesla has shown no problem upgrading and obsoleting themselves every year. And, you know, to, to the chagrin of many owners. But I think ultimately the pace of improvement of the GPUs is not something you want to um, stick your head in the sand and say, well, we made this commitment. We're going to stick with it for 10 years. And they'd be like, well, we'll upgrade in 10 years. It's like, uh, that would be quite silly. Yeah, and it speaks to the probably the... In- smartness of making that uh upgradable uh so right. that you, know, you can just kind of pop it out and pop a new one in because you know everything else in the car is not probably decaying at that rate right like you know your your wheels are still wheels right that that hasn't changed that much and brakes haven't changed that much and you know suspensions haven't changed that much so you know the, but the you know if you have an obsolete uh cpu or brain unit running everything then yeah being able to swap that out uh kind of gives new life to your vehicle yeah, exactly. And so now the new Teslas are swappable. And so it is possible that if it's required for Tesla to need to upgrade the GPUs, uh, they'll be able to bring it in for service and uh, swap it out. And it won't have to be this major, major thing. So a brain transplant. A brain Do you have transplant to rename your car easy. after that, though? If, you, if they've, you've taken its brain out, is it, is it, you know, if your car is named Floyd, is it still going to be Floyd when it comes back? Or is, well, is it now Gretchen? I, well, I think that's the thing is this is still going to be just like in a regular computer. 
uh, or most PCs, you upgrade the, the graphics card and you don't have to, you know, reformat everything. And so that's why the the Intel side of the new Model Three is is independent. That will that like speed of the touchscreen probably will never get faster. It's as fast as it'll ever be on day one, save for any slight software improvements. So I don't think they're going to be changing that out over the lifetime of the vehicle, or you know, five or six, seven, eight years. But the autopilot. NVIDIA side that's underneath the dashboard, I think it's very likely that that will be improving year on year. Uh, and, and the biggest indication is that Tesla said they expect autopilot hardware today to be possible of 2x human capabilities, but they want to get to 10x. So <laughs> I don't think that's fully software. And they've said they expect they're going to have to improve the sensors. And that also, I would expect, means the hardware to process all that sensor data. So though I'm sure we'll be talking about NVIDIA in the future, and who knows, maybe the show will last long enough that we'll get another NVIDIA uh, update on uh, <laughs> We should get Tesla's a development board end. and put it in the back of my VW and see if we can... It would be kind of interesting <laughs> to see like what kind of stuff we could do. I, I, I kind of just have this secret thing. I wish we could make a little, you know, kit self-driving car. Like how, how, how far since we started the show has it come that you could just, you know, bootstrap a self-driving car with like totally free open source with like writing just glue code? to like connect all these bits i think that'd be kind of fun <laughs> it would wildly dangerous it would it fun. would yes yes make sure it's a five-star crash rating car yeah and, and you know we'll we'll just run it on like a airship or something some someplace safe um <laughs> or in the simulation or in yeah well that's the thing we don't even have to build the, the darn car we can just do it all in simulations um, not as exciting though definitely not as exciting <laughs> um so before we end, if anyone is planning to buy one of these new Teslas, and apparently by the end of this month of October, uh, the $1,000 discount is going away for using our referral code from Anwar Beck over at the Tesla Geek. So if you are on the fence and want to save $1,000, you should do it in the next uh, couple weeks. Otherwise, you're going to not get the $1,000 off. But you will still get free supercharging for life, and uh, you can find the code in the uh, in the show notes of your podcast, however you're listening to this. Um, and then if you want to get in touch with us, how can they do that, Mike? Uh, you can tweet at us uh, at the Tesla show. Uh, you can reach us on the World Wide web at the And we also have a Reddit uh, at r slash the Tesla show. All right. Well, I'll talk to you again uh, next week, Mike. All right. Bye.